This program is brought to you by W. W. Norton and Company, publishers of Poetry Unbound by Patrick Otuma. Now in paperback and featuring immersive reflections on 50 powerful poems. I'm the senior content editor at the Academy of American Poets. I am so, so excited to be here in conversation with our Erica Doyle, um, the guest editor for Poem Day in July 2021. Erica, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm great. This is really fun. <laughs> I'm so you know, glad. People don't usually say that about their Zoom meetings, but these are always fun. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Um, let's kind of just roll right into it. How did you approach curating Poem Day? Well, I, first of all, I want to say I love Poem A Day. I love the surprise of it. Um, I love, you know, as, as a lot of people know, I'm also a principal, was an English teacher for a long time, and uh, also a literacy uh, consultant and coach. And so it's an incredible resource for learning. And it really uh, gives us access to so much of what's going on in poetry in the US today, and also poetry and translation and international poetry. And I love the, the, you know, as the years have gone on, the addition of audio and video and the special curations. And so it's such a rich field that actually, when it was my turn, I was like, oh, wow, what has not totally been done? Or who haven't I seen? Or who have I seen that I want to see more of or see again? The other thing I'm really conscious of as uh, someone who has worked uh, uh, create, you know, doing writing workshops in various places, and I've gotten like poets and writers grants to do workshops in both Washington, D.C. and in um, in uh, New York City and worked in lots of different venues like seniors, projects, etc. Um, I was really interested in uh, regional diversity, not just ethnic diversity or linguistic diversity or class or ableism, sexuality, gender. I really was interested in regional diversity. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I thought is who is writing away from the coasts right now who's really interesting? Whether it's that they're in school, because a lot of times when folks go to school for their MFAs, they kind of stay in that place. You know, so you have all these very interesting people kind of trundling around um, the Rust Belt or mm. in the Midwest uh, and Northern states. And then also I was thinking about who are really interesting writers um, who should, should be here, but um, right now they're kind of focused on other things. You know, thinking about Gwen, uh, Dr. Gwen Westerman, amazing, amazing Dakota poet. And um, she also is a visual artist. So she has in later years focused on visual art. So for me, I really was 
kind of browsing and collecting for months and months. Some folks I, I already knew, they were uh, usually newer, younger, more emerging poets that I was following. Mm -hmm. um, but I also went on the hunt for new voices uh, in exciting places, uh, often through the blogs of other poets, through anthologies, um, and uh, asked people for suggestions like, hey, who do you, who is writing now that's really new and exciting? Um, because I wanted to also crowdsource it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of break out of whatever my, um, you know, kind of my own personal regional, regionalisms and the way that I read. Um, and I was looking for work that uh, excited me, that was doing interesting things with language, and that was broadening the scope of what we see in uh, poetry in the U.S. right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really see the dynamism of the month as you read it. Um, and it's always so exciting to, one, read it as a group and then like watch it roll out because then you make all these connections that you didn't see were there. Um, oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> yes, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. You know, so we're going from, you know, the Northwest and Pacific Northwest, Hawaiian Islands, all the way to the East Coast and the, you know, Northern states, Northern Plains states down to the Southwest. And I really wanted to have that, um, have the breadth of how folks are, are talking about life, really. Yeah. Um, so if you could direct readers to one poem in our collection at Poets.org that you haven't curated, what would it be and why? So the poem I would direct everyone to is Dari Ann Martineau's Carnivorous with a Varied and Opportunistic Diet. That is a poem that is, it's simply brilliant. And I remember when it came out, it was, the, it was the poem that I sent to everyone. I shouted on social media about it. I talked to people about it. Um, and <clears throat> that poem is, it's, well, first of all, that poem really resonates with me because it is, it takes a quintessential Trinidadian, um, uh, I guess, uh, iconography of the mongoose, right? And um, Darius uh, is from Trinidad and my family is from Trinidad. And so uh, that's really, that really resonated with me, just the language that she was using, um, the rhythm of the language. Oh, when she reads it, it's so incredibly beautiful, but it's this stunningly brilliant poem that uses a metaphor of the, of the mongoose um, in, uh, you know, just sort of like, here we are, we're taking over, you can't get rid of us. And you imported us for a purpose, but we're going to take over and you can't control us. Um, and she says it in, in this way that it's just, it's just so lovely and brilliant. You can just read it again and again. It has so many layers. So it really, for someone who's familiar with the imagery, it's super powerful. For someone who's not, it's metaphorically really stunning. Um, and it resonates, I think, with lots of people across lots of experiences. As somebody has, uh, you know, has, has tried to put you into a box and or transplanted you somewhere where you're not originally supposed to be comfortable, but you know what? You're gonna, you're gonna mess things up right now, right? You're gonna bring it, and you're gonna bring all your skills, and you're gonna kill all what you need to kill, and you're just gonna take over, and they're gonna try to control you at some point, but it's not gonna work mm -hmm. because they thought they could, but they can't. You know, that makes me think of the saying in Spanish that they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Yeah, yeah. And the way that like poems can can like help you access your power. Yes, 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 yes. 
it's so important to just see that and yes, yes, that. yes. And with that poem, if you're just like, yeah, mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Um, so who are you? We are very and opportunistic, like, come yeah. on. And you know what? That's actually a quote from the University of the West Indies. They, you know, they do lots of flora and fauna of Trinidad. And the University of West Indies at St. Augustine is uh, actually, that's a quote from their site. And it's just one of those brilliant scientific quotes that, yeah. yes, I am, I have a varied and opportunistic diet. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like when things um, are called um, naturally effervescent. I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> In no way do I ever want to use other terminology for this, for bubbles. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it also kind of feels like, um, not a dig, but like a, like a, a way of saying the thing without saying the thing, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. Oh, hello. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so who are you reading right now? Um, oh, I'm always reading a million things. So I'm often reading uh, books about educational leadership, because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, especially in this time of us transitioning back into the building during the pandemic, I'm reading a lot about um, fostering positive culture and cultures that are uh, resilient as systems, because individuals are resilient, but you want your culture and your organization to be as well. So I'm reading that. Um, I'm reading Yona Harvey. I'm reading Randall Horton. I'm reading, um, you know, Shari Jahan, The City of the <gasps> Beloved. Uh, mm -hmm by Adiba Talukher, and um, God, I just, I, I read a lot. i also revisiting Joy Harjo recently, um, and also uh, given the, you know, the, you know, the ongoing conflict um, in the Middle East, I am in Palestine. I'm also reading, rereading um, Yehuda Amakai and uh, Mahmoud Darwish, um, both of whom I teach a lot, um, in translation in my classes, like when I teach classes, I often bring um, these two incredible, you know, forces of poetry. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm rereading a, a bunch of folks and I'm reading some exciting new things. I'm really looking forward to uh, Randall Horton's memoir, which is coming mm -hmm. out. Um, and I've been reading, you know, some things from my friends, you know, like Don Lundy Martin has been sharing uh, essays with me that she's working on. Um, one of which is going to be in the uh, in the Best American Essays. Oh, cool. So I'm really excited about that. So, I'm, you know, I, and I think it's so interesting. I'm very interested in, you know, maybe because I kind of do that myself, right? I work in, I, I also write prose, I write essays and fiction and things like that. And I worked in journalism for a while. And also I'm, I work in education. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I see myself as having two jobs. But I'm also interested, I'm really interested in poets who do that as well, right? Poets who are also visual artists, poets who are also essayists, who are, mem who are memoirists. Um, poets who are working um, in the nonprofit world um, mm -hmm. and trying to really make change uh, and do social justice work in the nonprofit world, um, as well as work in other medium. Oh, I've just been revisiting Brutal Imagination by Cornelius Eady. Oh. Uh, because they are doing, um, they're, they're redoing it. Um, they're putting it up again at the Vineyard Theater. Oh with Joe Morton and, you know, I think by the time this comes out, it might be over, but who knows, they might have it available or they might extend it. It's going to be mid-June to late uh, June. 
that they're doing a run of it virtually. Yeah. Oh. And so, and it has music. I mean, he, this is a book of poems. And first of all, it's just mind blowing. Um, and what he does with form, what he does with voice, persona. Um, oh, what he does with documents, right? So what he does with the realia or found, you know, found poems or using actual court documents and transcripts. It's just, it's just brilliant. And of course, timely forever, unfortunately. And that they're putting it up again. I am just excited. And it has music and they're singing. What? And it's not until you see it that you're, you're oh, how could this work? But Cornelius always makes it work. And it's incredible. Of course, he's a musician also, right? So he's yeah. got his band, they're going around and doing albums and being number one, the folk chart or whatever, right? So um, I, just, I just think it's really exciting um, to explore all the things that folks are doing from all these different perspectives. Cause you learn about that as an artist too, right? Yeah. And it's like, um, there's this thing that happens when you're a writer, you're an artist, you're a creator, you're somebody who makes things. Yes. And you have to work for cash to live. Yep. Yep. And then people are like, oh, I can't work and make art. But mm -hmm. it's like, even if you work in the arts, you can make art because you're always consuming art. So like you're always feeding that thing inside of you. Um, yeah. No, I think that's a really, I think that's a really important point. And it's about really understanding yourself as an artist and how you work. Exactly. And also having different models of artists. I mean, that's one of the other things that I really enjoy about someone like Cornelius or someone like George Harjo is these are folks who are, um, you know, they're doing all different kinds of art and they're figuring out how to do it at the same time and they just go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. So they don't say, oh, I don't have time for this. I mean, they'll say that, but they, they still do things. So I think part of it is just, um, you know, just pushing ourselves to make that time and figure out what works for us. Some of us work in little pieces in the mornings or in the evenings. Some of us work in like, you know, some of us need to go away, spend the night somewhere else if we can. Some of us need to, you know, get grants for things, but you know, really trying to figure out how um, you can, you know, sustain yourself and the things you're interested in and live as an artist as well. This reminds me of Walter Mosley. He came to Kaveh Khan in like the second year I was there, which was like 1999. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was just there like the hangouts. I used to be a poet. But one of the things he talked about was how he wrote his novels while he was working at IBM. Oh, wow. Right? And so many people would say, how do you, he's, I mean, he was a big exec at IBM and he wrote his novels at the same time and he wrote them in three months. Right? So that's, what worked for him in terms of his discipline, but it just goes to show, you know, certainly Alice Walker writing things while she's got, you know, a child, a young child, and she's editing. Um, same thing with Toni Morrison. So what has helped me a lot is having other models. So I think sometimes folks um, have, are, you know, they kind of get into maybe sometimes in the common, you know, not just media, but like there's a narrative sometimes in this kind of MFA-ish world where you have to, there's a certain trajectory that you have to follow in order to do your work and do your work well. Um, and I think it's helpful to have other models <clears throat> for that, as well as the longevity of folks' careers and what they did differently from time to time, right? Going from, you know, writer to editor to um, agent. Um, and sometimes, <clears throat> you know, like me, I was a teacher, I was an artist in residence, now I'm a principal. Who knows what I'll be doing when I'm 60 or 70. Um, you know, my friend Monica Hand, who passed away sadly, what, had a whole career in the post office, retired, published her first book, and then went and did a PhD program. 
So I think there's so many ways to live your life. And I'm very interested in artists who um, model different ways to be an artist in our society, um, which isn't always supported. You know, I remember when I was living in Tunisia, um, this is like a whole story. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I was living in Tunisia at one point for six months. And oh, to be a poet in the Arab world is the most wonderful thing. So I would tell people I was a poet. Oh, how wonderful. Oh my, oh, that is wonderful. Oh, oh, poetry is such an important art. Oh, it's so wonderful. I mean, they have talk shows. They have shows where people are reciting poetry, okay, in North Africa. It's amazing, right? And so, uh, you know, there's great Algerian shows where people do poetry. So it's, it was really cool because here's, you know, my family, immigrant family. When are you going to figure out what you want to do with your life? <laughs> like, right? Like, get it. Um, but it's important to, to build that in ourselves and to know that the way that we as artists are perceived in this country is not the way it is everywhere. And um, that's something that we can hold in ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why it's good to get out when we can. With a mask. Um, what are you? Oh, I'm like, um, I'm so happy. <laughs> um, okay. What are you uh, currently working on in your writing, teaching, or publishing life? Okay, so what I'm, I'm not, I've taken time off from teaching, so I'm not. I've been saying no to any teaching gigs right now because I'm kind of in a, well, work is insane. But even before that, you know, having a baby, I was like, I taught a whole lot before um, our baby was born. So he's two now. Um, so I was like, because after that, I'm not going to teach until he's a bit bigger. Because that's always like after work, school, whatever. Um, also, I was, I'm in sort of a generative space where um, you can sort of see the trend in the things that I've been publishing. Um, I'm working on... I'm not sure. It's a, it's a, it's a disciplinary right now. It's got some essays to it. It's got some sound, it's got some video, but I'm working on a, um, I'm working on a historic genealogy project, which has, you know, I, I, it might have fictionalized elements, but I'm really looking at the history of my family and how, um, and how it's connected to revolutions of the black Atlantic. Mm. So I, one of the things that we see, uh, certainly in the United States, uh, the way that history is taught or the way that history is talked about is not in any kind of pan-national way at all, which is quite different than the rest of the world, right? Mm. The rest of the world often considers like how their neighbors influence them, what are their neighbors doing? And when you learn history, you learn about everyone who's around you. Um, in the U.S., you really don't. And so what happens is there's a big disconnect between events in the United States and events, say, uh, in the Haitian Revolution. However, the Haitian Revolution, uh, which impacted the islands that my family was from, my family went to Trinidad, but they were fleeing the revolutions and uprisings in uh, Martinique and Grenada, so in the French islands. So the Haitian Revolution actually, it was a domino effect of revolutions in every single French-speaking island where, revolution, where the uh, French Revolution was giving as much support as they possibly could. They didn't have a lot of funding, but they were supporting and training the slave uprisings in the, um, in the French-speaking islands where the enslaved people were organizing and taking over. Of course, Haiti was the most successful of those. However, they happened in Guadeloupe, Martinique, and Grenada, which was a former um, French-speaking colony that got taken over by the British. So all of those uprisings, really, we're, we're part of the triangle trade. So triangle trade, 
it goes right africa caribbean and the east coast of the u.s and then to england or europe and then back down so the caribbean and the southeastern united states and of course uh going up to northeastern united states really one economic social cultural unit mm -hmm. so whatever happened in the caribbean impacted directly what was happening with africans enslaved africans and free africans and certainly whites who were enslavers in the uh, continent of uh, north america and so what we see is uh increasing oppression uh and more rules more stringent black codes in south carolina is where where we see it starting after these revolutions yeah right, right? So what we did impacted how folks here were treated, which impacts us today. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm looking at is, you know, as someone who is a descendant of these of folks who participated in these events, either as enslavers or as um, revolutionaries and rebels. Um, some of, you know, one of my great grandparents was uh, executed for his participation by the British, right? So but some of my family enslaved people ones who were white enslaved people and ones who were free people of color also enslaved others right so i'm really sort of examining excavating what is that what does that mean what are the connections to today and and just unraveling that and what's really cool about it since it's a genealogy my family i work on it kind of with my cousins too so they'll call me and say oh you know i think i think ma i think ma so so was uh, I don't think that she had that baby consensually. I think that was something else. And did you hear about the thing where this one shot that guy? They didn't shoot people in those days. They just used to have fistfights in the yard. That must have been something really serious. What do you think? Oh, hey, we found this cousin. Somebody connecting me on twenty, uh, connecting with me on twenty-three and me, etc. So we're sort of it's it's really kind of again like I love crowdsourcing. So we're working together collaboratively because come on, you know that's what we do, right? As folks from high inference cultures. We collaborate on our storytelling. It's not just one person. It's like your whole family being like, oh, blah, 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 this auntie and that auntie and this auntie and that auntie, right? So telling you all the stories. And from that, uh, I've got poems sort of coming out of that. So one of, and, and thinking about the connections to today. So the poem that um, I have published in um, Poem a Day, mm. about, you know, really like tracing that line and then connecting it to um, the Say Her Name movement, mm -hmm. where we see women participating and supporting in all these revolutions, all these uprisings, and also being victims of racial, um, sexist and heteropatriarchal cis uh, um, oppression, but not necessarily being remembered, being mm -hmm. celebrated, their names not being said. So, you know, my little, you know, allegory of the brother and the sister, um, and what happens to them in separate ways and you know how we protect each other, stand up for each other and finally find our way home somehow. Um, it, it comes from that, um, you know, comes from that exploration. And so that's why I'm, that's why I'm in, I don't know where it's gonna go. You know, people after my first book, people were like, oh, do you have another book? Do you have another book? I was like, I do, but I'm sitting on it right now. You know, I mean, what's the rush? <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky I don't have, you know, my ten my tenure doesn't count, you know, it's by uh, publishing anything. <laughs> so I'm free that way. Thank you, yeah. DOE. My Thank God. you, City of New York. <laughs>
That sounds phenomenal. I, that's so cool. Thank you. <laughs> good Thank luck. You. I'm sending all of my great, good energy to you in this project. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I was going to work on it. Um, I actually was going to Civitella um, Ranieri in Italy. Mm -hmm. um, I got a fellowship to go be in the castle for six weeks and work. And the pandemic hit. Yeah. So, you know, so hopefully I'm thinking, you know, usually I'm the kind of person that if I just sort of sit alone-ish somewhere quiet for a while, <clears throat> then surprising things happen, which is kind of how my first book came about. So, you know, and subsequent things as well. So I'm just, you know, I'm here, I'm living, I'm writing, I'm listening, I'm reading. I'm You're a curating poem today. <laughs> it's so many things. Um, <laughs> I remember so often um, this uh, a poet, Arcelis Gramai. My oh, favorite. yeah. Um, That's my sweetie. Gosh, so I love her my so marriage. Ah! Um, I, I love her so much. We were talking once and she was talking about how like poets like have all these hands. And she was like, how do I sometimes limit myself to like, my hand, my two hands, or maybe even just a hand. And she like reached toward her body. And I was like, even this one hand is so precious. And like seeing all of your hands, it's, it's just lovely. I'm so excited. Um, oh, thank, thank you, you for all this work that you do in the world. It's incredibly important. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. I was really very pleased to be a part of this very important project. I'm so happy. And my poets are so happy and really excited to be um, part of this. So, and that was really sweet, you know. Good. Um, well, thank you so much for talking to me. This was so You're fun. welcome. I hope you have such a lovely day. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I will. <laughs> okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>